Welcome back to episode 160 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe, co-created by Bruce Tim. I am Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And uh, we're, we're winding down here with Static. We got uh, three episodes left here. This week we'll be handling the, uh, the final episode of Rubber Band Man. Uh, lots of thoughts on how this series treats him. Uh, you know, we'll be doing that. Plus, we got a, a cool question from Cameron this week. But before that, we got a little bit of news yeah. to get into. Um, want to start out with a really awesome announcement coming out of DC this last week. Uh, one of their next uh, direct to Blu-ray slash digital features is going to be Batman Death in the Family. Uh, now, for those of you who know, that title comes from the death of Jason Todd, a storyline already covered by Batman Under the Red Hood. And very, very good fashion yes I, like that is most people rank as the best dc animated film. yeah including us um i yes. consider that to be yeah i mean that's on par with like the best of the the dcau so they were pretty clever about this so rather than completely remaking that movie they are basically expanding upon it and also doing their first ever choose your own adventure style movie it's an interactive feature yeah and fits so well with the jason todd kind of death yeah exactly so as you're watching along you basically get to decide like oh does jason die does batman just barely save him and so it'll spawn out into different iterations so you know one version he'll become the red hood as we know from the previous film another version looks like he becomes uh like red robin and is sort of on a vengeful yeah. approach to go take down the joker this looks awesome have you done an interactive film before? Did you do Boulder Bandersnatch, Boulder Snatch? Uh, I did not do the Black Mirror one. The, the Black Mirror Bandersnatch, no. Was it good? Okay. It is good. It's it's interesting um, because, you know, obviously the, the decisions you make affect how long the experience is. And so it, it looks like they have enough storylines fleshed out. You're not going to be like, I choose to kill Batman and the movie ends. <laughs> you know, it, it looks like whatever path you choose, you're going to get a full story out of it. Yeah. Um, which like just thinking about that from an animator's perspective, like I feel so bad for that team <laughs> that had to animate three movies. And I assume the time frame of one. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it looks like it's going to splinter off into um, four different stories, more or less. Uh, oh God. I hope they got paid well. Yeah. No, I really hope they did too. Uh, probably not. Um, Definitely not. No. Animators do not get paid anything ever. No, they really don't. Except that one time in the 90s they did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that one glorious period in the 90s when everyone was making money. Um, but no, I mean, this looks really cool. You know, it's the same animation, same voice cast as the last movie. And so it looks like there's going to be roughly like four different um, plot threads. And the digital version, at least, will allow you to kind of just watch each more or less distinct storyline kind of on its own, plus do the uh, the interactive element. And then uh, it's also going to include four shorts that have come out in the last little bit here. Uh, Sergeant Rock, Adam Strange, Death, and The Phantom Stranger will be included as well. Um, this might actually make me buy this on Blu-ray. Yeah, that is, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I, I, it's hard to tell based off the release that I read through um, like if everything will be included on both versions. It, they make reference to like a, a five minutes of content, which will only be on the Blu-ray, but they don't say what exactly that'll be. Um, but you know, of course, usually if you buy the Blu-ray, you get a digital download link anyways. So, um, I mean, if they were looking for a way to kind of like make a, a bit of a new splash with one of their stories and to get people excited again, I think they absolutely hit the nail on the head on this one. Would this have been, cause when is this supposed to come out? Um, let's see, this is going to be coming out 
October of this year. Okay, so would have this been the Comic-Con movie? I feel oh. like it's too far away because usually the con- so for people who don't know at Comic Con every year DC will what's the word I'm thinking of premiere yeah. thank you thank you me mm-hmm. you're um, welcome you will pre- <laughs> will premiere uh, their next animated film for the crowd mm-hmm. and it's usually a very very fun experience um, even if the movie's especially not. even even if the movie's not because then the writing staff will go crazy <laughs> and it's something that we do almost every year and we go. yeah. And so, yeah, I, I feel like this is a little, cause usually they come out in August and it's like, we're, we're only seeing it like three or four weeks ahead of time. Well, they have Superman man up tomorrow is their next one, but that's, oh, okay. So that was announced at comic-con 2019 and it'll be, no, right. okay. It'll be released yeah. in August of this year. So that, okay. that would have okay. been the comic-con movie, which makes more sense. Yeah. Cause gotcha. although I would have loved to see a, you know, a ballroom 20 try and like collectively vote for which option. Oh my god, he would die so fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no way Ballroom 20 would keep Jason Todd alive. It would have been the closest we could have lived to actually experiencing when that comic came out in the early 80s. It was like... Yeah, winter. just pure anger and chaos. I guess... Girl, like pitchforks would be coming the, out. The kind of funny thing is, because of that choice to kill him back in the day and then his reintroduction as uh, Red Hood years on, I feel like now people actually love Jason Todd rather than hating him. <laughs> Yeah, but they also love to see him die. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the nail is right. Is that is people can't not enjoy his death. No, it's the best. There's a crowbar yeah. involved. It's so much fun. Forehand, <laughs> backhand. backhand. No, I I am super super excited for this. Uh, we're we're definitely going to do an episode on this when it comes out because I think this is going to be great. Uh, also, really makes me want to rewatch Under the Red Hood, which not that it takes a lot yeah, of prodding same. to make me want to rewatch that movie. To be fair, I, I'm also just very curious about the future of interactive film because I think a lot of people say like either VR film or interactive film is the future of entertainment, mm-hmm. but I I would disagree. I think it's just going to become its own like subgenre of film. I think it's going to become like 3D um back in like the late you know 2000 early 2010s of like oh that was the thing that people were using to try and get butts mm-hmm. in the seats. I think it's going to be the same deal in terms of getting people to um buy physical media or just to get eyeballs on something. Like that's the difference now is that we have so much content available to us that you you have to find ways to get eyeballs on everything not just getting people to go to a theater which is going to be even harder so yeah i right. think it's just gonna become a a gimmick with some people doing it better than others so yeah and it's also something that you can't that kind of leads into our next uh news point mm-hmm. it's something you can't really put in a theater no you can't i i can't imagine that working really well um because you would have to like have some way for people to vote which the simplest way would probably have people like vote on their phones but then you like basically give everyone carte blanche to be on their phone through the whole movie. And that's just going to turn away people like us who absolutely hate that. I mean, I, c- I can see like it being built into the armrests, have it similar to like um, that button you have when you're sitting in an airplane to put your seat back. Oh yeah. Uh, the one where it's either very obvious where it is, or you spend the entire flight <laughs> trying to find where the button is. All of a sudden you accidentally like turn down the person's seat next to you. And Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, the the problem with that, though, is like that is a pretty substantial infrastructure cost that I can't imagine a lot of theaters mm-hmm. being willing to undertake, considering that they're so desperate to make revenue any way they can, um, which, to your point, does segue us nicely into our next 
a little bit of news here, um, which is something that I, I know you want to talk about because it's totally in the wheelhouse of our favorite thing to talk about, which is the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the future of the film industry. <laughs> Which, of course, has to do with the theatrical exhibition window. Uh, Cameron, why don't you talk us through what's happening here with AMC Universal? Yeah, so I don't know how people wouldn't know what's going on from before. AMC and Universal got in this tiff because Universal put a very lighthearted tweet out basically saying, fuck all theaters, but not saying that. Uh, and so AMC decided to not show any Universal films ever again in their theaters. Well, it, uh, but it now was a little bit more complicated than that because essentially it was... No, that was it. Okay. <laughs> At the simplest version, yes, but to slightly expand upon it, it was because Universal chose to forego any theatrical distribution of Trolls World Tour and only go straight to VOD, which then got Univer or AMC up in arms. And then, yes, a, a sniping battle of Twitter responses ensued. Uh, resulting in AMC base being like, fuck you guys, we're not going to show any Universal movies anymore. Yes. And so they've come to a potential agreement, which sounds, it, I mean, it honestly doesn't even sound good for just AMC, but it could really screw up the entire theatrical kind of experience as a whole. Mm -hmm. uh, so from what I understand, the idea is uh, Universal has decided, or Universal and AMC have decided to shorten theatrical windows so how long a theater or how long a a theater has sole rights to share a movie. exclusive rights yeah thank you yeah um exclusive rights to share a movie uh and in exchange so that's what you said 17 yeah, days it's now down to 17 days um which is crazy because theaters don't start making money until day 11 already Oof. so they basically have one week to make money um but in return amc is getting a percentage of the digital rental cost mm -hmm. um so from from here it says potentially amc is making 10 percent off of a 20 dollar rental which is interesting to say the least i feel like that this move is precedent breaking but not precedent setting um because you as you pointed out before we started talking like this is just one studio and one theater chain. Like the reality is this are far more complex than just that. Yeah. And, and AMC is stated to be the biggest theater chain in the world. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense for them to be the front runner of these conversations. But you know, there's a handful of other chains, even just in America, not even internationally, that would also have to be a part of this. Like I can't imagine universal splitting 10% to AMC, you know, 8% to Cinemark, mm -hmm. 5% to Pacific theaters. <laughs> I can't think of another one right now. So just the Grove, basically. <laughs> yeah, just the Grove and the uh, Americana. Um, I mean, and, and, you know, kind of going down until you just really screw over the small independent theaters who can't get a piece of the pie and are now trying to make all their money off of week three sales. Yeah. They also don't mention how long this 10% lasts for. Because this is like an indefinite... 10% for theaters mm -hmm. like I can kind of see that arrangement being pretty good and just like living off residuals forever yeah. you know especially if you once you get like two years in that is so many movies you're now just kind of reaping 10% off of but then at the same time studios would be losing out on a lot of money in the same way and of course that is something they refuse <laughs> to do refuse to do yeah I, I can't necessarily see other studios going on board with this 
mm-hmm. you know, I, to me, what this reads as is um, a way for AMC to save face after making a really publicly dumb decision to shirk universal movies <laughs> yeah like you know i i, I think it's like it was a corporate big dick contest it was you know and uh, and amc is amc realized that they are still flaccid yeah exactly uh they and they, they just don't have that much ground to stand on and they didn't have much ground to stand on when they made that declaration back in what march kind of when the the lockdowns mm-hmm. are first happening they certainly don't now when they're you know uh, four months further into no revenue, essentially. So I, I think they were desperate to figure out how their reopening is going to proceed and recognizing that Universal does have, you know, a slate of movies coming up that are guaranteed uh, box office hits. That You know, you're guaranteed to get butts in the seats with things like the Fast and the Furious movies, God help us all. Um, and of course, yeah. James Bond is another one just, you know, off the top of my head. So I think they were desperate to come to some sort of resolution and wanted to save face. And so they were willing to take like um, a pittance off of this. And the the details are scant, even in the, the announcements that were made, because I don't think they're worked out yet. But I can't see that this really um, hurting Universal that much. But it's just a, a desperate attempt on AMC's part to try and generate some kind of revenue. And to your point whatever iteration this continues with going forward, if it expands to other studios or expands to other major theatrical markets, I think this is going to ultimately hurt the small exhibitors the most. And the thing is, is I don't think the studios nor AMC especially care about that. If anything, it just works in their favor to further concentrate and monopolize that distribution. Yeah. And I, I have, I have two more quick thoughts mm-hmm. on this kind of going with, um, Going with the safe face idea, we mentioned last week that international theaters are opening. Yeah. And so it's kind of, they need to, and AMC is an international chain. So this is their moment of like, okay, yeah, we do need to, you know, keep our theater as open as possible and yeah, get as many people in as we can. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely agree that that's a move they're doing for their international market. Uh, A story we covered about a year ago, which I've, it's kind of been stuck in the back of my mind for a while which I definitely see unfortunately playing into this was there was the, was it the Paramount Pact or the Paramount Act? Yeah, the Paramount Decrees. Thank you. Uh, that are now null and void. Yeah. Which basically means that, that studios can buy theater chains. And I definitely, unfortunately, see that being the thing where we're going to get a Universal, you know, Universal could buy out Cinemark. Yeah. Disney could buy out AMC. Cause I think they're the only ones that could buy out AMC. Oh, maybe not right now, but yeah. And that's, that's, that's the JPEG move right there. And so I, I definitely see this vertical problem happening where you're going to have to go to a specific theater for a specific film. Theaters are in a very dark, hard time right now. No, they are. And I, cause I, I agree with you that the, the whole landscape is changing so drastically and you know, the, the COVID lockdown exacerbated a lot of the existing problems um but you know i I guess we want to look at it from a a slightly positive angle is um you know this is a first step in finding a new system right because i think think we can all agree that the the current system as it works of you know forcing movies to stay in theaters for a really extended window delaying home digital release isn't in anyone's best interest, especially the audience, but it, it, you know, it does work to keep having the studios and the 
theaters make money. And so this has the potential at least to start shifting the dynamics into a way that makes it better for audiences. It just will take time to see if that positivity can float to the surface amongst all of just the, the money grabbing crap. So, yeah. Uh, which usually the answer is no. no. <laughs> the answer. I mean, like, as I was saying, it's like, look, I, I, I'm trying to make a positive spin on this, but the reality <laughs> is it's probably not going to be good. But, you know, I, I always feel like whenever you can see a, a, an archaic system holding on to an antiquated methodology, it's always a bad thing. And whenever you see any cracks in that and any sort of slight progress forward, even if it does, it takes a long time to settle out, it's, you know, has the potential to be a good thing. So. Um, yeah, know, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, try to find a glimmer of hope where we can. Very, very last point on this for like this theater change or potential change for big cities, you know, like LA it's, I don't see it being a huge change. Cause like the small theaters here are so well known and like such an experience to go to the Vista yeah. and, and, and El Cap and, and Chinese and stuff like that. But you know, like back in my college town, back in Kansas, we had one theater. Yeah. And if we have this, this, you know, potential vertical integration system where, you know, th it could be a universal theater and you're going to have to drive 45 minutes to go see a Disney movie or go see a, a, or a Warner Brothers movie, mm -hmm. you know, like it, it's really going to mess up, uh, you know, all those, all those very small town people. Yeah. I mean, to, I, I think a, a good comparison is we're now reaching that point where, if you want to see certain content digitally, you have to go to that company's streaming platform. Like if you want to see Disney stuff, this but you basically have to go to Disney plus same with HBO yeah. max, same with stuff for universal on Peacock. Wouldn't be surprised if, um, the theaters eventually end up following a suit in a similar capacity. So yeah, what, what fun times that'll be. Hey, you know what? I kind of love the idea of having to go to the new Bev to see the newest Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> so that that alone might make it worth oh, it. Oh my oh my god, he would be so pretentious about yes. this. Uh but I would just ride along in the shit storm because I think it'd be highly entertaining. Yeah, Tarantino would I feel like Tarantino would try and buy out theaters on he his own. Would. Like it would be the major studios and then just like Tarantino on the side. I think if he were ever to do Like I'll give you fifty dollars and sixty bags of fake blood. <laughs> I think what we can expect is that uh, all seats in his theaters will be recliners with the, uh, the the feet way up in the air, and there is a no-shoes policy. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't wait for that. I don't think he smokes, but he seems like a person who smokes. Yeah. They're all smoking uh, theaters. Yeah. But you know what? You can get a great goddamn $5 milkshake there. So. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we move on to our uh, static episodes this week? Let's do it. All right. So first up is where the rubber meets the road. The uh, the final appearance of Specs and Trapper. Very thankfully, they're back. <laughs> I thought they were gone. They're not. Oh, uh, we're we're very appreciative. It's the final episode for them, but we're also sad to say that it's the final episode of Rubber Band Man. And uh, we'll we'll get into whether it does him justice. But uh, quick recap of what happens in the episode. So in this case, it's uh, good old Specs and Trapper hire another bang baby called Tarmac steal a fusion engine from alva industries and create a doomsday weapon the disaster matrix great name uh so while trying to stop specs and trapper from holding the city ransom static discovers that adam aka rubber man has dyslexia and static helps him overcome his insecurities to save the day 
So, Kara, this is an episode. I feel like we've come across a lot of episodes that you've been just talking about this entire time. And we actually yeah. get to them. And I'm always curious. How did this hold up for you? Did it hold up to the the, the wonder that has existed <laughs> in your brain for this last four years we've been doing the podcast? No. <laughs> Not even a little bit. I mean, this episode is fine. I Unfortunately, I think I'm going to say it's probably the best Specs and Trapper episode. I mean, that is the lowest bar possible, though. <laughs> yeah. I was so mad when they called it the what is it the the disaster matrix. I'm like, oh god, I hate them so much. It's kind of, it's unclear what the disaster matrix does exactly. It's so it's like it's powered by this the super high tech fusion engine that has a lot of energy, and I guess it's so powerful that they can just do targeted natural disasters. Yeah, it it, it sounded like like targeted earthquakes. Yeah, um, which like fucking bring it on, asshole. We've been dealing with that this week. <laughs> There was, a, there was an earthquake that hit California this week, and that's why I made that joke. Oh, and yeah. It, it was like at 6 a.m., and everyone was more upset that it woke them up than an actual earthquake. Did it wake you up? It did. Oh, it did? Was it that big? Uh, yeah, I mean, my bed was like full on shaking. Oh, goddamn. Uh, I, I was glad that I, I'm in the middle of packing, and so I just had taken everything off the walls and off the shelves. So nothing fell. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was pretty big. It was, it was close. I don't want to say it was big. It was just very close to L.A. Oh, okay. You know, because that's what we need on top of everything else that's happening here. Yeah. I do love in this episode, uh, I because I, I love pointing out the, the very small, dumb details. Mm -hmm. Sharon is dressed like they're going to a very fancy restaurant. Uh, <laughs> and the menu, the thing they look at, the first thing on the menu is Gut Buster Burger for $5. <laughs> and I'm like, that is the fancy restaurant right there. Hey, you know what? It just goes to show how much she cares for adam you know and like, he, you know, he puts in the effort he dresses up nice every time he's gonna see her he's a gentleman he, he is a pop sensation <laughs> who has his own like penthouse apartment is uh, making it's not a penthouse he has like a nice condo it looks like okay yeah the nice condo uh in what is supposed to be you know detroit yeah so like it's it's costly to live in the city there and he takes her to what is basically a corner diner. Hey, but you, I, know you know what? I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to judge because yeah, you I, know, maybe maybe that's their favorite spot too. Yes, you know, maybe I, that's the place they always go together. Yeah, because honestly, everything on that menu looked great to me. They it did. had like uh, they had nachos. They had the big gut burger. Cameron, you're just really missing junk food right now. So much. <laughs> No, like I, I, I'm I'm with you. I didn't think this was a great episode. Um, it yeah, it, it is probably the best Specs and Trapper episode, which is not saying much because I, I mm -hmm. think we have actively excluded every other episode they've been in from our short list because they're such terrible, terrible villains. I think the the biggest letdown of this episode is not even what it does or doesn't do with her band man. It's just that his story ends here. Like, he was a character that had a really interesting arc right from the beginning, going from a villain to a, a struggling hero to a full-on hero, someone who's trying to also live a, a very public life. And he had a lot of time on screen the first two seasons and has had little to none since then. I mean, this is the first full episode where we even get him in his new character design. Yeah. And you, you just kind of feel like there were so many more stories they could have told with him, right? Like he never learns who Virgil is. Like how interesting would it have been to put 
that dynamic in place where Adam discovers that Virgil is static and, you know, beyond whatever rivalry they used to have, it puts him in this weird position of trying to decide whether he has to tell Sharon or not. You know, exactly. Th- there, there's a lot of stuff they could have done and they just, they didn't do it. And I, I'm glad they give him um, something to do here. Cause the, you know, this episode is the, the PSA for um, dyslexia. And I think it actually handles that side of things really, really well. Um, it does feel like they sort of, shoehorned rubber band man into that role though i was curious how you felt about that about how they treat him and his dyslexia in this yeah i mean i i agree but i don't know who else they could really do it with especially this late in the show yeah i don't think they can introduce a new hero or a new you know classmate in at this point yeah i guess i guess they had to attach it to a character we already knew and and had an affinity for um it it just kind of feels like it's a little bit world breaking in some sense, you know, mm-hmm. so the, the, the examples we see of Adam's dyslexia is, uh, you know, Virgil and Richie are hanging out at his place. And they notice that he never opens up any of his, um, fan mail. We see that when he goes to read the menu at brunch with Sharon, that all the, the words get jumbled up and he can't read the, the TV across the street. Um, you know, and like the, the kind of the big moment in the episode is they're trying to prevent Tarmac from escaping Alva Industries and he can't figure out which button says, you know, close on it. Right. Because all the letters keep getting jumbled up. And just given how capable that character has proven to be in so many capacities to the rest of the series, you kind of feel like the extreme version of dyslexia that he has would have caused more problems for him in Elves other appearances. Right. And and there was an aspect they, they played into for a second, but I would have loved to explore this more because I, I have a couple of friends with dyslexia mm-hmm. and they're all very musically talented. Okay. And so I, I don't know if there's like a, an exact correlation between those two, mm-hmm. but I think him like, you know, open up on him playing piano and someone like putting sheet music in front of him. And he's like, you know, like, no, I, I got it. I have it in my head already. Yeah. And it's like, they do. I, I think it is smart, especially this is a kids' show, which we have to continuously remind ourselves mm-hmm. that they do have to kind of ham fist it a little bit and really just put it in front of the put it in the TV of like, yeah, he can't read right. Uh, but you know, I, I think they could have done a few like subtle things to show like you know like because I couldn't read, I chose music, and that is that's always worked for me. Mm-hmm. Why do I need to go back and try something else when this is obviously leading to success yeah that would have been a nice little nod to throw in that and they make reference to it that he's been really successful including in music you know um in spite of this but maybe if they had just pushed that note a little bit harder and made that feel like a really pronounced element of the episode it would have um been like a a nice upswing on the whole thing Mm -hmm. um there's there's a a side scene which I love so much. And we, we've talked about these things before. Oh, I think you know you're going when, with this. It's when we see uh, Tarmac go to the villain bar. Yes, the Bang Baby bar. The Bang Baby. I want just a full episode in the Bang Baby bar. Mm-hmm. Just make it a bottle episode. You can do it similar to Almost Got Him. Yep. But I just want to see, because you, you see uh, Carmen Dillo, Armadillon, mm-hmm. playing pool with Tarmac. And in the background, you see Shiv and uh, Onyx. Mm-hmm. And I just, just let me live there. Let me live there for, for 20 <laughs> minutes. 
and just see the conversation that's going on. Like the, the rotating door. I mean, like it, it's similar to like, I want a full episode in Arkham. Yeah, just, exactly. Just like in, cause what is it's, um, it's that shot where it's all the villains watching the TV together in Arkham. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just want to be in that, like that, the entertainment room. Yeah. I, I know what you mean. Like we, we've had a couple like really interesting locations over the course of the, all the shows and never really explored them. Like you're right. It would have been amazing to see uh, an episode of BTOS set just exclusively within Arkham, but you're right. I, I feel like they absolutely could have gotten away with doing a almost got him homage, you know, like mm-hmm. the thing is we're, we're 10 years on now from Batman animated series. Like that show clearly has a legacy because we're continuing to watch it. Like it, it, they could have done it in a way that would not have felt like a ripoff, but as like a, a callback to that and I, and I think static would have been a, a great way to do it because you do have a you know a pretty good rose gallery they make attempts to give them backstories but you know that would have been a, like that would have been a good way to do you know a little bit more background on hot streak you know like in the episode yeah. with them recently where they get handcuffed together we were wondering like hey like why can't we get more about him why can't we get an episode that really focuses on his backstory you know pick three four villains give them each uh you know, three, four minute long little story, giving a little bit of highlight of what their lives are like. Well, and also we have to remember that like all these people kind of knew each other before the big bang. Like yeah. they were either in the same gang or in a rival gang. Yeah. Some of and them like, were brothers and it's never brought up. Some of them again. were brothers sometimes. <laughs> uh, but like bring that in. Like we post big bang, we never see like the gang lines. Yeah. Which like, I mean, it's a kid's show. I get it. But you know, like, have an episode where Ebon and Onyx are like, this is my turf. And he's like, turf doesn't exist after this. Like, it's all up in the air. I, I think sometimes we just have too high of expectations. Like, I think it's weird because Static occupies this strange space of being a, a show that you and I are both really excited to get to because in our minds it held up really well and stood out amongst the rest. And I think that still proved to be true as we're going through it. But I also think maybe it wasn't as sophisticated as we remember. And probably is because when it aired, it was super sophisticated. Yeah. But now by comparison, we're looking for the sort of like deeper storytelling we get out of a, a young justice. I think is. I was going to say young justice is what has, what changed us. And it, it, it's really changed the, the storytelling of superhero shows. Yeah. And and I think we're, I think those, uh, that static shock is a proto version of that. I think the DNA is there. The, the attempts are there. Um, but it's just not as much as we expected it to be. And, you know, like, I think even this episode, you know, you and I are focused on a lot of it being the last or Batman episode, because as we've said repeatedly, he's the best superhero in all the DCAU. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, their main focus here was on telling an episode about dyslexia. And I think they do a good job with it. I think they do a good job visualizing what that's like for someone who has dyslexia. I don't have it, so I don't know specifically, but sort of the way that they portray it on screen, you can understand why it would be hard for someone who has it to to read. And, you know, they do a nice job of pointing out that it, it takes work and that's bad, but like it's worth putting in the effort um, to try and overcome that. And, you know, the fact that Adam is really embarrassed by it and he's embarrassed as, you know, Virgil or I guess Static specifically discovers it. Um, and, but he's appreciative when Static doesn't say anything to Richie, even though Richie is getting in rubber band man's face for, you know, messing up because he's dyslexia is getting in the way. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I would have liked to see Static push back a little bit on on Richie or, or just try and divert the conversation away and to be a, uh, we'll call it like an active ally rather than a, an, a passive one. Um, but I'm glad they did this episode. I think it's worth, you know, highlighting this because a lot of kids do have it and I think a lot of kids don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think it's worth going so far as to have the little PSA moment at the end, which they've only done once before. And that was for, um, you know, the episode Jimmy, you know, revolving around gun violence. And I'm glad that they put effort in on this one. Yeah. I mean, when they did the, like the back to back pose in the episode, <laughs> I was so pumped. <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow, they did it. Is any cartoon PSA really complete without a back to back pose? Uh, finger guns. That's true. <laughs> one or the other. That's true. If they did two of them, it would have been way too much. Yeah. Um, and then I, I want to see if I can find the project file. But back in college, um, we watched a video and then we had a project where we had to make a font for dyslexic people. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And they kind of talked about, and they, they go over it a little bit in this where they have a hard time reading like B and D and Q and P mm-hmm. and all the letters that kind of look similar. Yeah. Cause for quick design knowledge, there's every letter falls in four shapes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were trying, like, how do you break out of that to make it more legible? And funny enough, like, Comic Sans was a game changer for dyslexic people. And really, while people love to make fun of it because it's so ugly, like, because there's no consistency in the letters, oh. it makes it easier for dyslexic people to distinguish each individual letter in order. I never would have thought of that, but that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. And so I, I don't know if that was the main reason every school used it through 2011 mm-hmm. for everything, <laughs> but now they have an excuse. Yeah. Now there's a real reason to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anything with like inconsistent lettering is, is a lot easier for dyslexic people to read. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really cool. You know, it's, it's nice to see that um, you know, the design can come through and help and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Before we, we wrap here, I want to talk about rubber band man. Is there anything else you would want to have seen out of that character in this show uh i mean i think you hit you hit it right on with i wanted him to to learn virgil's identity i wouldn't want to break up episode i feel like that would be just unnecessary yeah because they're like a good co- i mean they're they're a couple to look up to they have fights they are happy together mm-hmm. you know they they were per rubber band man still being the best person in the dcau they were very realistic and they're very human yeah Maybe like an episode where him and Pops hang out. But honestly, that's what I would have loved to see. It's I don't necessarily even needed more Rubber Band Man specific episodes. I wanted to see him peppered throughout the show as another regular cast member. You know, yeah. in the same way that you know we got three episodes with Shebang, and they always were like teasing the idea of her being part of the the group, but then never really paid off anywhere. I wanted that here. You know, like we had that one moment. Um, and one of the episodes where it was, you in, know, in the coma episode, and the, yeah, the coma episode. Yeah, exactly. It was like the whole family was there together and including pop's girlfriend, including Adam. I wanted more of that. I wanted him to really feel like, um, a regular part of that family. I wanted him to get, you know, like a full on supporting character, uh, spot over the course yeah. of the show, uh, become a serious regular. I think that just would have made it feel a little bit more, um, grounded and inclusive. I agree. I did have one question for you because mm-hmm. we love to make fun of 
Specs and Trapper. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Um, I do. You think they would be better Gotham villains? No, they would be better I, anywhere else. They should not exist at all. <laughs> well, I, I'm imagining. I, I, someone correct me if if I'm wrong, but I don't think anyone like from the tech side of Wayne Tech has become a villain, have they? Off the top of my head, not that I can think of, but like imagine like if 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 Lucius hired interns yeah or i don't want to say that it's like lucius's team that makes the bat gadgets one of them just goes rogue like and like he knows how the bat suit works he knows how to deactivate all the stuff i think that episode idea would have been interesting to see like someone at wayne tech um kind of discovering this this cache of high-tech gadgetry and maybe not fully making the connection that it, it, it's batman because then you introduce the idea of like, oh, another person discovered Batman's secret identity. You have to resolve how they, you know, sort that. I mean, out. they could be selling it to Batman. It doesn't have to be Bruce. That's true. Yeah, it's like under the under the table dealings. Yeah, but I think that would have been interesting to see someone, you know, um, exploit access to all that sort of technology. But I don't think that episode would have worked if it was Specs and Trapper. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, the the only thing that's good about their inclusion to the series is that it, it meant recurring work for both Michael Rosenbaum and Patton Oswalt, who we yes. we both adore on many, many levels. Um, and I think they... Just not this one. <laughs> and look, I think they do a good job playing those characters. You know, I've, I've said before, I love their, uh, you know, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid sort of banter they have back and forth. That being said, they're awful and I hate them. <laughs> and I don't... You know, I... I would have been perfectly happy to cut them out of all of the DCAU entirely. Yeah. All right. Well, then why don't we move on to our uh, our next episode linked, uh, a very appropriately named episode, because not only does it feature two characters with a uh, a secret history, but that secret history is that they derive superpowers from, yes, a chain link fence. Yes. This is the third Shaq episode. I was very excited to see it. Yes. Uh, so this episode sees professional football player Dulé Jones um, come back to Dakota for a big game. And while there, he reconnects with Sharon, who used to be his counselor. Uh, and Dulé is attacked by a new bang baby named, yes, Chainlink. Chainlink. And we right learn, on the nose. Yep, very on the nose. Uh, we learn that Dulé is also a bang baby and is being blackmailed by Chainlink, or he will reveal the truth of the world and ruin Dulé's career. Um, Dulé eventually reveals his powers at the big football game in order to stop chain link uh so cameron what did you think about this doc ock episode uh it was a great doc ock episode i'll <laughs> tell you that um uh, i i'm okay th- this is slightly tangential i'm surprised they didn't get real football players for this one oh yeah because they yeah it, it is uh, another sports-based episode they're really trying to emphasize the idea here that superheroes can also be athletes and vice versa and also that pops was just a fucking all-star back in his yes day. see i i love stuff like that i love that we keep getting these little hints of the fact that pops is actually this like very like complex textured individual with this like totally unsuspecting like history like, if you look at the course of the series, we find out that, one, he was best friends with Shaquille O'Neal because yep. he, like, was a wicked basketball player back in the day. Uh, he is also best friends with um, a major football player. 
here voiced by the great uh, late Michael Clark Duncan. Mm-hmm. Um, we discovered he was a huge comic book nerd. Um, also, we also discovered like Pop's got game, right? Like as we recall, like you know, his girlfriend was quite quite lovely. So yeah. people underappreciate what a unique and complex individual Pop's is. <laughs> um, what was his nickname? It was oh the streak. Streak, yeah, yeah. streak, <laughs> which is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, so in the, in this episode, both Chainlink and uh, Dulay have a bang baby power where they have eight metal arms coming out of their backs. It's definitely not Doc Ock uh, because they change it because for some reason, and I don't know why, but I've noticed it a lot in recent villains, everyone suddenly also has disintegration as their power. Yeah, so it, it's it's kind of weird. So in this episode, they have these mechanical arms, which is an odd bang baby power to have because it, it feels more technological than mutation based or it feels like it'd be yeah weird. i was expecting like this to be like a gear centered episode yeah it's odd to think that humans can mutate into having metal arms i guess if you fuse with a chain link fence you can <laughs> yeah because that's what we learn about them is that they were at the the big bang obviously because uh, at the time even though Dulake told sharon that he had separated himself from you know gang life he was there at the big bang and he and his friend were trying to escape from the gas. And as they were hopping over the chain link fence, um, the villain who later became known as chain link uh, fell into the gas and got a greater dose. But the, basically they were on this fence and then they absorbed the fence. And so chain link has the ability to absorb metal, which we see happen multiple times, but it isn't actually explained. He can do it until the very end of the episode. Yeah. Uh and so their solution is dropping a bunch of metal on him to try and knock him out. It's yeah. Like, and it, okay, sure. And it works somehow. Um, there's a line at the beginning, which made me think that Dulé would have a different power. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about how great he is. And they said, it's almost like sometimes he has springs in his feet. And I was expecting an episode where you had a bang baby use their power for personal gain. Yeah. And, you know, like him having a power that actually makes him better at a sport Mm -hmm. and have this be like a steroid homage episode. I was kind of expecting that, too. Like, I I was definitely not expecting him to To also have six metal arms protruding from his back like i'll be honest like when he does reveal those arms because the, the, the big difference is that he can hide his arms while his chain link can't but when he reveals i was like oh shit i wasn't expecting yeah. this because you're right i i was expecting it to be something where like he you know has like a like a milder version of like kangor's powers like he can like you know like run fast or leap far or exactly that whatever he has is just enough to give him an edge and it introduces that idea of whether that is okay. Like, is mm-hmm. he, you know, is this him taking advantage of a situation in an unfair manner? And, and I think it would have opened up an interesting conversation, you know, like the the sort of plot thread that Dash has in the first Incredibles movie of like, you know, is it fair for him to use his power sort of thing? Um, and I think that would have been a much more interesting story here because I think otherwise... And it would also it, make more sense for why he's kicked out of the NFL. Yeah. Like, obviously, yeah, he cheated. But his current power, they kick him out just because he's a bang baby. Yeah, which... Like, there, there's he's never used his power in a game. No, and and I feel like that they should have spent some time talking about that. Like, why should he 
get kicked out just because he's a bang baby. Like you can make the argument that he's, you know, dangerous. Like having those arms could put other players in jeopardy, which I guess is fair, but it's at least a conversation that has shades of gray to it. That would have been a, a cool topic to explore. And they, yeah, like send it. There is a facility learning to get rid of bang baby powers. Send him there. Send like him there. have the NFL pay for him. Cause he's, he's basically like the bet, like the all-star rookie. Yeah. And so the NFL would want to do what they can because he's kind of the current face of the NFL. Like if there was a Madden game, he would be on the cover of 20, 2004 Madden. Yeah, it it's again, I, I think we're just looking for too much out of these episodes. I think we like... <laughs> Damn you, Young Justice. How dare you write your episodes so good we expect so much more out of everything else. No, we, we really do. But I mean, I think that does speak to the potential this show has and how cool it would be to see them tackle it again in some capacity, um, you know, and actually get a chance to like uh, approach the stories from like a modern, more sophisticated storytelling perspective. I have a sophisticated question for you dealing with this episode. Okay. What do you think is a fair blackmail percentage? Oh, Cause like, 90, 10 feels very rough. Like that, that's a hard, that's a hard no as a 90, 10. But if we're talking like, like a seventy thirty, you know, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up for a discussion. Yeah, seventy thirty seems a little more reasonable. I feel like if you're in a in a ninety ten situation, like I don't, I mean, there are obviously people who can live off of only ten percent of their income, but I think even I mean, a, especially if he's a multimillionaire. Yeah, he has that sick hummer. <laughs> yeah, the 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 more money you make, the more money you need to to you know keep going, right? Mm-hmm. So there's always that possibility. Um, yeah, I think the ninety ten might be a little bit extreme. Um, but I also think that, you know, Chainlink, I, I don't think he's thinking very rationally. He's being a little course. greedy. Chainlink, let me, let me be your financial advisor for your next blackmail session. You can't go in so hard, Chainlink. You gotta, you gotta leave the table open for a discussion. Uh, I think you may have just created yet another, like, niche supervillain role in the DCAU <laughs> is the, uh, <laughs> the blackmailer's financial consultant. Yes. <laughs> Slash business manager. It's just, it's a, it's a, um... It's someone who just lost their realtor's license. The thing is, though, you could actually make pretty good money if you operated a ring of blackmailers. Like if you, you know, actually put in like the the legwork to do you that, mean like the mob. Yes, you're just talking about the mob. <laughs> <laughs> we've just but, we've just invented the mafia. But I'm saying like specifically just <laughs> blackmail. Like, but I mean, let's be honest. Like, you know, because the mob is very differentiated in their criminal portfolio. But like any good enterprise, eventually you would work your way out of just big blackmail. So yeah, you're right. I just created the bob. <laughs> we just we just did. <laughs> hey, you give me ten percent of your profit, and I'll make sure nothing bad happens. That is a form of blackmail. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we're not that clever. Like we're we're being maybe a little bit harsh in this. I think this thing, this episode, does some stuff well, though. I think it gives a lot of uh, screen time to Sharon in a really nice way. Mm-hmm. You know, it it. Reminds us, too, that she is also a counselor in her own right, um, you know, and she's had a positive effect on people. And, you know, in the same way that we've seen, um, you know, former pupils of Pops grow up and become successful, we saw one of Sharon's, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel like this episode is pretty well animated, considering that, you know, the the movement around those tentacles could be really complicated. This could look really shitty. And I, I thought it looked pretty good, actually, from my perspective. <laughs> there is, there's one shot, which I want to highlight because mm-hmm. i loved it so much because i wrote it 
while the fight was happening, like, oh, man, I wish, like, the other football players would come in and help. And they do. But there's the moment where they, like, all run in at the same time. If you look in the corner, there's one guy that turns around and runs up the stands. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> and I'm like, bless you animators for putting that that little nugget in for us. Because uh, that moment gave me uh, like a double-double take. Mm-hmm. basically because initially so yeah there it's a big football game at the end it's the climax of the episode uh the chain, all-star game the all-star game yeah Ch- chain link is fighting duet static and gear they're helping um and you know w- we see a bunch of people leave the stadium so we kind of assume the stadium's evacuated and all of a sudden we just see uh so the football players decide like oh hey let's jump in on this fight and i just went what <laughs> like what <Yeah>. really <laughs> we're having the football players join the fight too and then I mean, hell that, yeah, they're also superheroes, Chris. That's what we've learned in the past four seasons. Of course. But in that moment, I also saw the guy in the background. I went, wait, what again? And I had to rewind to double check. <laughs> but yeah, one guy just like, fuck it up and leaves, which I don't blame him. Yeah. <laughs> like, look, why would you ever want to jump into a fray like that and get injured when that is like your entire career on the line? Yeah. And that, that's my thought with, with Duvon. Duvay. Duvay. Thank you. Um, is I assume with how young he looks. He went straight from high school to pro. Yeah, he did. And so retiring as a rookie. So he's only played one season. Oh, poor guy. He has he has no future. No, and all those endorsements are going to go away. Yeah, and so I was expecting something from the the other football player we see kind of pop in and out of like, you know, we'll find a place for him. Like he'll be a trainer. He'll be an assistant coach. Yeah. It's like he'll still be on the payroll because like, we can't be that discriminatory about just a guy. You know, what about all the other guys that can just happen to grow six tentacles out of their back? Yeah. I can't. We have that room for all of them. But like, you're right. This episode just completely, you know, moves past the consequences of the outcome of it. You know, this was a, a, a point I really, really drilled down last week when it came to uh, <laughs> to Eddie finding out Static Secret Identity. But it, it's something I noticed this show tends to do often, which is basically completely ignore the wrap up. Like there are mm-hmm. lingering questions or there are consequences due to the, the fallout of the events, of these episodes, and they just don't address them. And it literally would just take a line. Like to your point, it would just take a line of, um, you know, uh, Rashid, the rocket Randall, the other football player being like, Hey, Thank like, you, yeah. look, you know, you're going to lose your endorsement deals. Like you're, you're no longer able to play, but you know, you know you at the end of the day like you tried to do the right thing and you were here to support us and we're going to support you in turn like we're going to make sure yeah because without that what is the moral of this episode this is like don't uh, keep secrets yeah keep your secrets and when someone tries to backmail you kill them so your secrets don't get out yes find your version of ace chemicals yes <laughs> yes um there's that shot which i i don't understand um where the the vat of acid pours around chain link but it forms a perfect circle around him with no nothing like stopping the nope. the acid from hitting him nope uh and it just it the floor falls beneath him mm-hmm. like you know what if he put his his tentacles up and it's like you learn that's the thing that can actually hurt him yeah like he loses two of his tentacles and now he and now the fight scene is a little more even because you have a person who's always been using their power but is now weekend versus someone who almost never uses their power and has to kind of figure out how to use it combatively. Mm-hmm. I think we're expecting too much from this, Cameron. Shut up. Shut up. 
Let me live my fanfic. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let me live in that t- 2003 Hummer with a DVD player in it. Oh, it's got a DVD. It's got TV, HD TV. It's got everything in it, man. Mm-hmm. The Home and Garden Network. Yep. Uh, no, but like, there were there are a few little things here and there I liked. Uh, I love that the score for this kind of does their own version of the uh, the NFL fanfare. Oh, I didn't even pay attention to that. Yeah, that's awesome. Was that was kind of fun. Um, you know, I love that we have multiple occasions of Richie and Virgil having to run away and to go change into their costumes, which somehow they keep stored underneath their normal clothes at all times. Oh, okay. Question for you. I just, I just thought of this. Yes. What if more of a more of a thought than a question? What if this episode takes place prior to Hoop Squad, and this moment is what inspires the NBA oh, to create their superhero team? No. No. Yes. No. Chris. No. Yes. They're like, oh shit! Like, what if someone attacks an NBA game? How are we going to defend ourselves without our own, our own bang baby? Yes, I know. You know what? Yeah, Cameron, you're right. You're absolutely right. The NBA looked at this and went, "What happens if a a bang baby or any of the other metas that permeate this world happen to attack an NBA game? I know what we'll do. We'll create a super team of NBA players from across the South and one on the West Coast. <laughs> exactly. We will turn." Four and four players alone into superheroes, and really hope that if something happens, it'll happen again. Probably going to happen in Texas, so let's <laughs> put two there. We hope hope it happens in a game that one of the players is attending. We also hope that whoever attacks them can be bested by their really, really specific powers that only work if they can work as a team. Yes. Should we give one of these to Shaq? No, he's nah. a superhero already without power. Yes. God damn it. You know, it's 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 in line with the sort of logic that would have created the hoop squad in the first place. So fine, Cameron, I'll let you have do your you fanfic. Think, do you think that every sport has their own secret superhero team? Yes. Uh, or they, they just stop the show before we get to see all the rest of them. That is true. Yeah. Because my new thought is, what if the hoop squad recruits Dule? And he's, he's the fifth member. Because we talked about you can never have a team of four except the Fantastic Four. <laughs> You always need five or three. Yes. You cannot have a superhero team of four, except for the most famous superhero <laughs> team, which happens to have four people. You're absolutely right. It's so famous that no one else can do it. That's how famous they are. Name me another team of four. I can't. Exactly. I can't. It's just a fantastic four. Uh, that's true. They're mostly trios. Uh, or yeah. five sums. Or five sums. Yes. Uh, I... <laughs> or however many people are in the X Men. It's a rotating roster. Yeah. Uh, no, there, there absolutely is. Um, and you know, for me, I just would really love to see whatever the professional golf superhero would have been. Oh my god! Absolutely. Uh, let's be honest. It just would have been Tiger Woods, but he can just turn into a tiger. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of like at the time because this would have been an awesome episode. I think it would actually fit well in this universe uh you have the tennis tennis superhero it's just the the williams sisters oh oh wonder twin williams yeah and you find out pops dated one of them <laughs> <laughs> yep i'm on board like that's his connection I'm absolutely on board i mean to be honest i would watch any version of the the williams sisters have the wonder twin powers 
Yeah. Like they, right? they are so incredible. I would absolutely watch that. I think it'd be highly entertaining. Yeah. I'm just, like what other sports do you have? That will, this is, this is a bonus episode in the making. Yes, it absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Any other uh, thoughts on this guy here? Uh, I think, I think we, we covered it all. All right. Well then we're going to do uh in lieu of notes from friends, not much this week. So we're going to do a, a cams question corner and it turns out, uh, unintentional segue here if we're talking about other superhero teams uh camera what's your question this week yes i i pose to you uh what is the best fake superhero team or superhero individual in a non-superhero franchise right yeah it's something we've talked about before that you get a lot of superhero episodes in non-superhero shows especially in animation um, yeah so some examples would be like the crimson chin from fairly odd parents monkey from dexter's lab mm-hmm. Uh, also, the um, what's the other team from the Desperate Lab? Justice Friends. The Justice Friends. Yeah. Yes. Major Glory, Major- Valhalla, and the Incredible Crunk. Because uh, yeah, I, I, so I did a little bit of research trying to track down the best ones. Uh, this is where the website TVTropes.org came in. There's a lot. Very I, I handy. was I was shocked at how many exist. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Um, I, I kind of knew the stuff that you were likely to go for. And so when I, oh. went, when I went through my list, I, I figured anything Butch Hartman was basically just going to be you, either Butch Hartman or Genny Tarkovsky. You know, I, I didn't list any of them in mind. Oh, okay. Well, this will be interesting then. Uh, I ended up going for uh, two examples from South Park. Coon and Friends? Uh, yes. Uh, one, absolutely that group, because that those episodes are so so funny and the fact that it's all just a, a meta commentary on superhero franchises is brilliant and i've never played yeah. the uh the fractured but whole um video game but i've heard it's pretty good it's pretty entertaining mm-hmm. um but then play the first one no i didn't play the the lord of the rings one either okay i i played that one was so much fun yeah i've heard they're great i've heard they're just super fantastic games i mean south park is so sharp um, so I had them, but I also had to put a shout out for uh, the Super Best Friends. So it's from a really early episode, but it's a it's a bunch of oh, yes. religious figures. So it's Jesus, Moses, Joseph Smith, um, and Seaman, who's an Aquaman parody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. I totally forgot about this episode. Uh, yeah, I think they, if I recall, they end up fighting uh, a massive Abraham Lincoln statue, right? Like, I think the Abraham Lincoln memorial, like, the statue comes live and they end up having to fight it. That sounds about right. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I, I had to go with uh, the South Park ones because with anything else, South Park, they are able to make a sincere version of these things while also just beautifully lampooning them at the same time. So mm-hmm. that was my shout. But who did you have? Uh, I, I have a couple here, mm-hmm. as you expect. I, I asked a couple people, and from the sounds of it, the one that was said the most was one I didn't even think about, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, was everyone said Quail Man from Doug. Oh, oh Quail Man. Yeah, Quail Man is, is a great hero, mm-hmm. even though we never really see him do anything. He's no. just like so iconic in his look. Yeah. That um, belt around the forehead, it's classic. Yeah. And the, uh, the underwear on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, I have three that I don't think you would know. And then one you definitely know because we've brought it up before. Okay. Um, so the first one I want to talk about is Team Go from Kim Possible. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so we learn that She-Go is part of a superhero family called the Goes. Where there's He-Go, She-Go, Me-Go, and We-Go. 
classic. Um, and those episodes are so much fun. And if you haven't watched them, the second episode, I think, is the funniest version because they're fighting the mathematician who's just a guy who uses math to beat his villains. <laughs> uh, and they have to use Ron's dad, who's an actuator. Is that the job title? I don't know. What What does he do? He's he's basically just like an accountant. Okay, an an actuary? I don't know. Let's call him I an accountant. I think that's his type. Yeah, yeah he, he's he's an accountant. He uses his accounting skills to beat the math villain. Love it. And it's so funny. Um, yeah, they're great, and they they all all have great personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I I think my favorite one, and it's definitely the one I've watched the most, is a character named the Great Saiyan Man from Dragon Ball Z. Okay, yeah, I definitely wouldn't know that. Not know it's, that. It's it's a most people consider it the worst four episodes of Dragon Ball Z. Oh, great. But I love them so much. It's right after <laughs> they defeat like the main villain. And it's these four filler episodes uh, where the main character's son, Gohan, goes to school, a normal human school. Um, but he can't help being a hero. So he dons the title Great Saiyan Man mm-hmm. to try and stop crime while being a normal schoolboy. And it's so funny and so <laughs> out of character for the show. I love it so much. Cameron, I, I feel like there are a great many things that apply when you use the phrase, most people consider it the worst <laughs> blank, but I love it. Yes. Because there's an episode, because he's, he's never interacted with the humans before. Okay. And so there, there's a part of the episode where he's in PE with mm-hmm. his school and he's like, he's like trying to play baseball like a normal person and he just try like barely ju- he can fly so he just barely jumps and he jumps like six feet in the air to catch a ball he's like hey i did it i sit like a normal person this time <laughs> god damn it um uh, there's there's another one that i wasn't thinking about till someone else brought it up for me um you never really see him fight but he's just a character that exists in this world mm-hmm. uh, and it's senior fusion from recess Oh, I, I vaguely recall this. Senior Fusion is their basically Superman, or I, I think what he's really parodying is Radioactive Man, right? From from Simpsons, who's another one we can put on this list. Radioactive Man and Fallout Boy, not the band. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had but never there, thought about that before. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's probably one of my favorite episodes of Recess is there is a um, Senior Fusion movie coming out mm-hmm. and TJ wants to see it opening day. Okay. And he convinces all the teachers that it's like, for academic reasons, you learn about like science watching this. Um, you learn about culture, filmmaking, you know, having a good argument for a fourth grader. Um, but Principal Prickly refuses to let them go see it. And so they have a trivia contest because they're both huge Senior Fusion fans. And it's the two of them just like rattling off facts about their favorite superhero. And it's so like heartwarming to see the two characters that are like, they have such a great dynamic in the show of like being opposed sides, but prickly hates being the villain, Yeah, but he has to be the villain. And like, I love that character dynamic so much. I, um, I vaguely recall this episode, actually. It's a great episode. That's pretty fun. Really uh, and then the, the the last one I'll mention is the one that I think you would you would remember. Mm-hmm. Um, Action League now. 
from Kablam. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, I That's your deep cut right there. I had forgotten every word you just said until you just <laughs> said them in that order. Oh yep. my god. Action League now from Kablam. Uh, please it's remind the, us the, all the about toys, this. the superpowered toys that all have the horrible, the worst powers. You have the Flesh, who is naked but super strong. Yes. You have Thunder Girl, who's the only one who has like a real power. She can fly. Um, the Stinky Diver, <laughs> who I love, who's just, uh, who's just like a uh, a scuba diver. Yeah. Uh, melt man who has the power to melt. <laughs> um, those are, those are the main ones, and I, they have a couple other characters that pop in and out. The chief. Oh my god! I uh, who I think is just a normal person. I think so. I I had so forgotten about this, but you're you're right. Yeah, it's, I think it started with all that, and then it spun off into uh, Kablam. Oh my god! I forgot about Kablam. Like, because Kablam was basically like what, a precursor to Robot Chicken in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, yeah. Kablam had great animated short. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't consider it because they didn't parody. Oh, it was okay. all yeah. originals. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was an animated sketch show, basically. Oh my god! Do you remember Snick? Oh yeah, I remember Snick. Oh, I, Cameron, you have started me on a a deep, deep wikipedia hole that i'm not sure i can escape from now yeah so for if you need if you need some like nice shows to look back to um sniz and fondue has some pretty great some great uh great episodes action league now is obviously there um prometheus and bob is probably the one that most people remember oh yeah yeah, the the two aliens who are very like abbott and costello-esque all I know is that if you're if you're looking for a good starting point to go on a, a nostalgia binge, just start off by going to the TVTropes.org link for superhero episodes. And in fact, I'll put it in the show notes um, yeah. because you'll be reminded of how many shows you watched as a kid, both animation and live action, had their one-off superhero episodes. Yeah, and yeah, and and we we just barely scratched the surface. Of these. Oh, there's Obviously, the Crimson Chin, so many Crash Nebula, Ultra Lord. Justice Friends, Monkey, the entire Justice Friends expanded and they had a full, you know, my as I mentioned before, my favorite kind of episode is is the tournament episode where you have all the heroes fighting each other for the title of strongest. Oh yeah. But no, I, I love this question. I mean, like you said, we, we just scratched the surface and maybe we'll do uh, a more expanded version of this down the line as a bonus episode. But uh this one especially, I would really love to hear people's favorite versions of this sort of thing like what was the like the the knockoff superhero team or the the non-superhero superhero team you remember from your, your childhood um mm-hmm. yeah so let us know uh you know twitter at tim talk pod um we'll love to hear people's responses to this i think it's or, such or an interesting it, question expanding it a little bit there's a couple episodes where the only one i can think of off the top of my head is jimmy neutron where the characters become the fantastic four yeah, there's a lot of those too where like characters, yeah, there's like the in in universe superhero teams which are either like actual superheroes or oftentimes they're like TV superheroes and then you're right there are episodes where people get superpowers and otherwise non-superpowered shows. Yeah. And those episodes are great. The the fairly odd parents one I would cite is probably my favorite of that Fu- trope. Futurama does a great one. Oh, yes, yeah. Um but yeah, write into us and let us know. Yes, please. Yeah. This is my favorite question so far. I know. So this, is, this is a really, I want really to keep good talking one. about yeah. it. This is a really good one. 
Uh, but Cameron, what are your bat plugs for this week? Uh, so I have a very unusual bat plug, and it's something that I didn't even expect myself to enjoy as much as I did. Okay. Uh, but there's a YouTuber named Jenny Nicholson mm-hmm. who does amazing videos. Uh, she does kind of explainer videos, video essay kind of things. She did an hour long. I, I don't even know how to classify this explanation of the Brony fandom. Oh my sweet lord! And and kind of the history of BronyCon. Okay. And the history of the the My Little Pony experience yeah and it is so fascinating how much it has changed and how it even became like how it even became what it is yeah i i don't even want to go into it because it's so fascinating because i i don't really know anything about my little pony to begin with but especially not the brony culture but isn't there even like uh, like a, a dark side of the Brody culture in the same way Absolutely. that you get like a lot of toxic fans around DC and Star Wars, a lot of like toxic Brony fans out there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Brony culture was born from 4chan. So kind of like, uh, the well worst, that explains the it. worst of the trolls. And it was meant as like to make fun of the show. Mm-hmm. And so people would watch it to basically like harvest memes from it. Yeah. And like who can have like the funny. So it, it got this audience of just, making fun of the show Mm -hmm. which then turned into like people not understanding that the the fandom is satirical and so watching the show and actually enjoying it which then brought in the the real asshole fandom Mm -hmm. of you had people coming in who like thought they knew more you know it's, it's exactly what you expect to come out of this the people who come in and expect they know more than everyone else in the fandom and looking down on people that like different eras because my little pony has been around since the sixties. Yeah. They're like, if you don't like this version, then you're wrong and stupid. <laughs> and you know, the show basically the, the show writers were not expecting this big surge and they started changing the way the show was written. Cause it's obviously written for young girls. Mm-hmm. They started writing in all these meta jokes and, and content for this now adult male audience. Uh, which just pushed it even more into, you know, these asshole fans thinking that they own the show. Oh my god. What what insanity. Yeah, it it is so interesting to and she is someone who is not only looking at it from the outside, but she was a content creator in the community. Like she mm-hmm. made a parody series of of a uh, My Little Pony mm-hmm. and it got like huge numbers and views and she wrote like original songs uh and so she was she was an invited guest to a lot of the shows yeah Uh, so she's looking at it from all perspectives of how it's changed it like i turned it on kind of just like something i was going to have on in the background but then by the end of it i was like so dedicated (laughs) to to the story she was telling you're right i was not expecting that (laughs) yeah it's, a, it's it's crazy. It's a deep esoteric cut there, but it sounds fascinating. Yeah. Uh, what about you? <laughs> what have you been spending your time with? Uh, so I do want to give a shout out to um, Batman Brave and the Bold. I think I've plugged it before, but I, I'm I'm trying to burn through all the DC Universe content I can with the expectation that it's all going to go away before too long. Um, yeah, and that's so fair. 
I just finished season two of that show, and I, I've talked about it a little bit before about how impressed I was by that show and how I was very reluctant to watch it when it first aired because it seemed like it was super kid focused, and I've come to realize it's far from it. It's actually very sophisticated. Um, but uh, yeah, there's you, a couple. You you just finished the like the dark streak of episodes. I did, yeah, um, yeah. There's like a, you know a surprising number of like really emotional character deaths. I won't say who, so it's not a, a spoiler. Um, but there's a few other episodes. It's Aquaman. It's always Aquaman. Outrageous. <laughs> but <laughs> I do want to make a few specific episode shout outs. One is a uh, chill of the night, which is really amazing. It's one where, uh, Spectre and the phantom stranger are basically, uh, in a wager over the soul of Batman essentially. And it, it essentially allows Batman to go back and interact with his parents. And I, I won't give too much away, but it has some really incredible, um, very poignant voice cameos from, you know, Batman history in there. And it's just a really good touching episode. Um, there's that there. Oh, it's written by Paul Dini too. It is. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely excellent. There's that there's the, the nights of tomorrow, which like jump forwards into the future and sees Bruce Wayne get married to Selena Kyle and they have a son named Damien and then like his struggle to inherit the role of uh, Robin. It's really, really excellent kind of exploring like what a future could look like. Um, and then a totally out there episode is Batmite presents Batman's strangest cases. Yes. Which is like this. I fit. love Batmite. Yes. It's like this fantastic triptych. Uh, so one of them is like a mad magazine style, like Batboy and um, Ruben, Another one is um, like a, a Japanese animation version of like a 1960s, like old style Japanese animation version of Batman. And then the, the last one is uh, Batman Brave and the Bold meets Scooby-Doo, which they eventually mm-hmm. made it like a full movie out of. But this was just like a one off thing they did, which um, just totally plays up a lot of the, the amusing little details that came with some of those old Scooby-Doo movie episodes. So it's it's a great great show uh highly highly recommend it i mean it's all pretty much one-offs there's a couple episodes that have you know multiple episode arcs but for the most part you can kind of pick and choose as you go along so uh highly recommend checking out those episodes but just all of the show is fantastic um and then i had one other plug this week which i thought was gonna be the weirdest thing on the show but then you came in with your like (laughs) brony culture documentary uh which is gotta keep it fresh my friend ben sent me a uh, a youtube video from this uh this creator ricky downs the third and it's hamilton but muppets i've seen that it is astounding (laughs) it's like really impressive because i mean they basically just recreate all of the the songs from uh from hamilton but they all do it in muppet voices and it's i think it's multiple people doing the the impersonations but they are really really good and unsurprisingly kermit of course plays alexander hamilton and you know as they're doing the intro song the first time you hear him say you know alexander hamilton it just i so off-putting i lost my shit it's so funny. And then, of course, I had to skip forward and listen to uh, Animal's rendition of King George's You'll Be Back. <laughs> uh, it is delightful and absurd and silly and, uh, I mean, a, a very sincere and fun um, callback to anything Hamilton. I'm just worried now that I'm going to have a hard time taking the original seriously after listening. Well, I was going to say there's another version. There, there's two other versions, one of which is actually very, very well done uh-huh. because of it's very it's done by a professional. Yeah. Um, but someone did a version where they sang the entirety of Hamilton as if Adam Sandler was singing it. Oh my God. And it's so, I, I don't think I lasted more than three minutes. It's so hard to listen to because <laughs> he does a great Adam Sandler impersonation. Yeah. 
Um, but then the one that I love is Weird Al did a polka medley of of Hamilton. Have you not heard it yet? I will go look it up immediately. Hamilton polka is so good. I I, I love Weird Al. Also, he makes a cameo appearance in that uh, Strange Tales of Batman from Brave and the Bold. He does. <laughs> Oh my! Okay, I gotta go check those out. Um, yes, yeah. the polka version. Like everyone, please go look at the polka version because it's it's so funny. Can we just take a moment to acknowledge how incredibly talented Weird Al is? Yeah, like it takes someone with incredible musical talent to be able to Im- like impersonate and parody so many different types of musical genres that he has, and to do them all so well and with such like really heartfelt creative lyrics mm-hmm. like to this day for doing it for so long he's doing it forever and he, like my Bologna came out in 1971 oh my god like he's he's so good like to this day i still know the lyrics to the saga begins more so than the lyrics of the actual song american pie oh same jerry springer and yes. um in, in that version, what's, what's what's even the real one again? I, I don't remember. It's been a oh, one week. A oh, one week, yeah. Grapefruit yeah. diet, like there. Are... <laughs> yeah, I mean, because we we even talked about this the other day. Like the second album I bought on iTunes was uh, Running with Scissors. Yeah, and I, I had I, it on had, CD. Yeah, I I brought three. I had just bought an iPod, or my mom had just bought me an iPod. Mm-hmm. I'll rephrase it. Thanks, mom. <laughs> um that I took to Europe with me when I was in Europe for a month. Mm-hmm. And the only three albums I had, I'll say four. One I'm not as, as keen on. Uh, but it was Poodle Hat, Running With Scissors, the High School Musical soundtrack. Of course. <laughs> and then just to top it all off, uh, the Dane Cook album. Oh, my God. It's fine, Cameron. It was a different time. It was a different time. It was a different time. You were a different man, a.k.a. a boy. Yes. It's fine. But also, so little has changed. <laughs> also, very true. <laughs> Here we are still, what, 15 years later, still talking about how great Weird Al is. Because let's be honest, exactly. he is. Uh, but, all right. Well, I think uh, I think that does it for us this week. Great. <laughs> what am I going to say? <laughs> I don't know what I was waiting for there. Uh, no. That does it for us this week. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. You can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Uh, please send us your favorite non-superhero superhero teams. Really want to hear your answers to that. Uh, and then you can find me at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yes, and if you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter on Instagram. If you want to see my face, you can find that at CamDexter underscore Adventures. All right. Well, boom, boom, boom. That does it for us this week. We'll be back next week with uh, Wet and Wild, another excuse for Cameron to constantly bring up Olga instead of Aquamaria. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we'll be covering that, and we'll be covering Kidnapped. And then after that, we have one more episode of Static Shock Left. We are, we are almost done here. Uh, kind of sad to see it go. Um, yeah. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. A superhero static shot. Wee wee. A superhero static shot. Wee wee.